Do you know the risk factors for type 2 diabetes? Or what makes it more likely you or someone in your life might have the disease? With type 2 diabetes playing a growing role in the lives of so many, you need to know. And Project Power, a community program from the American Diabetes Association, is here to help. Take our risk test today at diabetes.org slash Project Power. You can avoid the risk of type 2. Project Power will help. Many of us, if we're being honest, have given up hope on good sleep. But why? Well, if you're like me, you've tried everything and nothing has helped. So if we're not going to sleep well anyway, why try? That kind of thinking is so 2021. It's time to rethink our nights and days and demand more from our sleep. Talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more. Okay, so I'd like to welcome you to a podcast within a podcast. Over many more months, you're going to start seeing some very different content and kind of offshoots of what's happening in the larger universe of Dr. D's social network. One of those is following musician Simon Milliman in his journey to create 12 albums in 12 months. I think you guys are going to really love this journey that we're taking. So today is part two of the conversation that I've had with Simon, and uh, I think you guys are going to really love it. But before we jump into that conversation, definitely check out two songs that will be listed here in the podcast. One's Hello Normandy. The other one is No More Avs. And Hello Normandy is going to be played right after this. No more abs at the end. I hope you really enjoy it.
Okay, guys. Now, let's get ready for the conversation between myself and Simon Milliman. And just so you know, the first 20 minutes or so are going to be about 80s action movie stars. Oh my gosh, so much fun. You're going to hear so much laughter. It's a beautiful conversation. Regardless of whether you like 80s action movie stars or not, you're just going to love the joy that comes out of that conversation. Then we're rolling into Simon's new album, Weeping Candles. Enjoy, everyone. And back with Mr. Simon Milliman. And uh, what you don't know is that uh, we're just continuing the silliness as we go along here uh, that we started offline. Taking selfies, apparently, has become a major deal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I really wish I was better at this. I really wish. (laughs) I'm terrible at selfie taking. I don't do it. Yeah, it's generally it's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> but Pretty you know, especially it's, <laughs> I, I I just tried another one. I can't even get myself in focus. You know, I call, <laughs> my, I call myself a professional photographer, and I, I can't even get my own selfie in focus. Um, <laughs> it's just weird to look at yourself and take a selfie and like because it just it highlights like the weird stuff about your face and stuff it's like you know well it does and and you know the the phones with the wide angle lens and everything i mean these aren't meant for up close face though they distort everything up close so yeah so a, a selfie is is difficult. I, I'm actually using a real camera with a real lens, you know, a professional camera yeah. with a professional lens, and um, and still was failing miserably. I've, I, <laughs> I, I I got one that I think is going to work. The old <laughs> the old Instagram shouldn't be too angry about it. Um, was this like one the one that worked out of like 30 that you took or something? I, I i am i just literally er- erased i think about six or seven photos <laughs> that didn't work i just went through and said yeah we're getting rid of those i feel like every time you and i talk it's like very random you know it's, <laughs> it's extremely yeah, we, random we've been having fun i i've really enjoyed our over-the-top conversation oh. Okay, okay, okay. People who are listening to this, they probably don't know about this movie, Simon. (laughs) It's true. It's I remember when that movie came out. I must have been early teens or something. I can't remember the dates when it came out, but um, I remember thinking I was going to go see a cool movie, and I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why I thought it was going to be a cool movie because I knew it was about arm wrestling. Um, exactly. <laughs> so it's just kind of like, I mean, uh, it, it, only a step above thumb wrestling, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How exciting is this going to get? <laughs> Actually, and, I, I really like the movie. I'm like, because I love Sylvester Stallone. And I was like, how bad can it be? I mean, he's a truck driver who arm wrestles and he flips the switch when he turns his hat backward. How bad can it be? Yeah. What, what I'm really interested in at the, at at these moments is that you have potentially either the first or second biggest box office draw in the world right there. in Sylvester Stallone at that time, and you're his agent and you're presenting him with a script for an arm wrestling movie. (laughs) And you hear funny things about it. I guess he and Arnold, you know, Schwarzenegger were really competitive. And and the way Arnold tells his story, and I assume it's true, or else Sylvester Stallone would have come back and said, that's not true. But you remember that Stopper My Mom Will Shoot oh, fiasco of a movie? Terrible one movie. Of the, one Terrible. of the worst movies ever. Once again, when I, when, it, when I saw a preview for that and I was a kid, I thought, it's going to be good <laughs> because, <laughs> because when you're a kid, you're an idiot and, and you have no idea yeah. anyway. But apparently what happened was Arnold read that script, thought it was terrible, told his people to tell Sylvester Stallone's people that he really wants to do the movie so that Sylvester Stallone would say, no, I'm going to do that movie because their competition and so Arnold knowing that that was going to be a terrible movie and and sabotaging Sylvester Stallone into <laughs> into doing it. 
Such a bad movie. <laughs> I mean, one of the worst of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember. And I don't know what was happening. Poor Sylvester Stallone. I, I, I actually like him as well. I, I, I really um, like some of his movies. I, you know... I like the Rockies, you know, and I like uh, I like Copland. Uh, There's you know, there's just a handful of other movies of his that I really like. And I really respect him as a a, a writer and somebody who is really ambitious. And and he and Arnold both were really like. You know, Sylvester Stallone, I mean, both of them just from a voice perspective shouldn't have made it in Hollywood. Right. Neither of these guys can talk right, you know, as far (laughs) as the, uh, you know. An American English hey, yo. <laughs> standard, yeah. <laughs> but they both were so ambitious, and they both made. I have, I have absolute respect for both of them. But uh, it is very really interesting. I, I actually showed um, the movie Kindergarten Cop to my kids just like two weeks ago. Love that movie, actually. That that is a fantastic. And I for I actually because it had been maybe twenty years since I'd seen it, I'd forgotten how good it was. Amazing. I was like, this is actually a really good movie. It's genuinely funny. It, and what's really interesting is that it's genuinely violent, too. It is. <laughs> I was, it I was really actually is. surprised. I didn't remember how violent it was. I didn't remember how sadistic the villains were. Yeah. And uh, so it was... You don't see movies like that really anymore that really blend that really genuine funny comedy with kids, like kid comedy, kid, comedy for kids. Right. With genuinely evil, sadistic, violent villains. You know, and that that's uh it's probably a big no-no with today's helicopter yeah. parents watching, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But I'm there with my kids and I'm just like, man, isn't this cool? <laughs> you know what's funny is like when I I was just talking to my dad right before this and we were talking about because we're big like movie people and yeah. we're always he's got he's like really into like bad sci-fi movies. Like he picks the worst ones and I'm like, how do you keep fifty <laughs> foot really tall get, woman? I mean, really? I mean, come on. I would get along with your dad a lot. <laughs> I get sucked. I get sucked into the the old so low bad. budget sci-fi uh, and fantasy movies. I just love them. But he was huge into like Arnold and you know um Sylvester Stallone and I remember watching Commando with him when we were growing up. And I was like this may be one of the best things I've ever watched in my life. And then when I got older I watched it I said it's still good. Commando's still amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> there it goes. I ate green berets for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> Why was Bennett wearing a chain link mesh shirt all the time? That's I was like, what is this fashion statement? So, apparently, I don't want to all the listeners to think that I'm just um, some random movie quiz box, <laughs> but. So apparently the story behind that, though, is that the actor who was cast for that, um, he, something went wrong with the casting. So something about another actor who was supposed to play that role didn't work out. And I can't remember the details, but he had to just come into the movie just while it was filming, basically. Mm. No time to prep for it, get in great shape the way that he probably would have, that actor probably would have wanted to, knowing he's going to stand off against Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he ends up being this, I mean, talk about a weird villain, because there's all (laughs) kinds of like Mad Maxi, homoerotic kind of things going on with this villain. And he must have had a really great time doing it. But yeah, it's like... It's like Commando, the ult- the ultimate military man versus homoerotic 80s sci-fi-ish <laughs> villain guy, you know, which is a really interesting thing. And, and a lot of movies back then really got away with yeah. doing some weird stuff like that, you yeah. know? It was all about John Matrix. I was like, that's the best name for yeah. like- <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you between the eyes, Matrix. That's right. <laughs> that is true, and and heroes had cooler names back then. Yeah. That is absolutely true. Right, um, General Franklin Kirby. All hell is going right. to break loose. 
I'm sorry. I know every line no. in that movie. <laughs> oh, well, it's a movie you should memorize. One of the movies I know almost every line for is Predator. Me too. <laughs> I mean, I remember uh, just a few years ago, it was playing in one of the second run theaters here mm-hmm. in Portland. And knowing my wife would have no interest in it <laughs> whatsoever. I, I go to it by myself. And I'm sitting there like a total Portland hipster with a slice of local pizza and a kombucha. Wow. <laughs> and I'm just dying laughing because when I was a kid, my, my parents were pretty conservative as far as the movies they allowed yeah. us to watch and things like that. They, but they also weren't, which is really interesting. When I go back and I watch some of the films that my parents allowed me to watch, I was like, that was a different time. Yeah, P- PG meant something different. When I was a young kid than it does today, uh, PG-13, of course, was invented for our generation, yeah. you know. Uh, so anyway, it was uh, uh, it was interesting to go back and watch uh, a Predator and just be in there laughing hysterically <laughs> the entire time. And, and later talking to a friend about it, and he's like, you know, I've never seen that. I was like, no. Well, so we ended up getting the DVD and, and watching it together again. And he's, and he's just like, wow, I had no idea about this movie. He's like, I didn't really understand why people like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, <laughs> he's about eight, 10 years. Young, and, and, and that much of an age difference, eight or 10 years during that time, you might've missed Arnold in his heyday. You might not understand why people, you know, during the eighties were so in love with Arnold, you know? Um, but that movie predator to me is everything that's great about Arnold Schwarzenegger in a single movie. Completely. He's funny. He's, he's, he's killer, you know, but he's also, it's an interesting movie because he's completely outmatched by the bad guy. And you don't see that in a lot of his movies mm-hmm. in, a, in most of his movies. He's, He's actually stronger than the bad guy, you know, commando included. He's stronger than Bennett. He's a better soldier than Bennett, you know, but in the predator, he's completely outmatched. And that's not something you expect in an Arnold film. And he just gets his butt handed to him by, (laughs) by the predator time and time again and wins by sheer luck, you know, and that's (laughs) just, once again, not something you expect in an Arnold film. You expect he's going to win by his own tenacity and his own, his own strength and all these things. He's he man, you know, he's going to win because he's, he's the best. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so man, that was another movie. My dad and I, and my brother, like we have like obsessed about our entire lives. And I know <laughs> even to this day, like I would see my dad and he'll walk to the kitchen and he'll be like, if it bleeds, we can kill it. <laughs> 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 It's such a oh man, you know, man, and Billy, get to the chopper, get to the chopper. <laughs> quote that one all the time. That's big, uh, man. Another one to quote is uh, stick around. <laughs> he throws the knife through the guy, exactly. stick around, stick around. <laughs> I like in the beginning when him and Carl Weathers they do that arm lock and like they're both oh, sweating. Man. He's like, what's the matter, Billy? You get too many pencil pushes? (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of the movies back then were just, you know, Rocky Three was like this. Like, get the biggest stars out there, you know, and put them together in a movie. You know, like Mr. T and Hulk Hogan had had teamed up (laughs) in the WWF. And they were doing this big, and Mr. T, was, a lot of people don't know this, but Mr. T was actually instrumental in, in getting WWF mainstream, professional wrestling, into more of the mainstream thing. And so they were huge. So let's put them both in Rocky Three, <laughs> yeah. And we have Carl Weathers in the best shape of his life, you know, and, and, and you have... Carl Weathers and all sorts, or, or I'm sorry, Sylvester Stallone running on the beach together and hugging in the waves. I mean, there's so many Best. great things in these movies <laughs> that you don't see in a movie that you don't see two bodybuilder looking guys yeah. hugging and jumping in the waves together in a movie today. That's just not, especially when, when they were wearing short shorts and crop really tops. Short. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then so, it transitions to one of my favorite scenes. He's like, what's the matter with you? 
What's the matter with yeah. you? There is no tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like banging on the wind on the and like this is right on the mirror. Boom. There is so no tomorrow. <laughs> so much inspiration in those movies. Seriously, man. man. If, if you're a, if you're an athlete, you know somebody who's not an athlete, I think, can go and watch those movies and think they're watching the most ridiculous, silly thing they've ever seen in their life. But if you're an athlete, you're watching these movies and you're just like. I got to go work out. <laughs> there is no tomorrow. There really is no tomorrow. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. So then when Carl Weathers shows up in the predator, that's another thing about the predator. that's so different for an Arnold movie is that it's an ensemble cast. Yes. And that's so different, you yeah. know, uh, Jesse Ventura, and, and, come on. Oh my goodness. He's so great in that movie. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> We're going to dig in like an <laughs> Alabama tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That was the saddest part of the movie for me. Oh, and they yeah. actually, and they actually did. What's the the actor's name? Who's his best friend? I'm blanking on. It. He's he's actually a really well known director. Yeah, too. Shane Black, I think. Uh, uh not him, but actually the the well, he's not who I'm thinking of. He, oh, it's the, a different the guy, guy who played Jesse Ventura's uh, best. Oh, friend I know you're talking about. Oh, Bill and, Duke, uh, right? That's right, yeah, Bill, Duke, Bill Duke. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that because he was. He was in Commando and the Green Beret part in the hotel That's right. room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he, as far as acting goes, he steals the show in Predator. Oh, yeah. Bill Duke is amazing. When he's just, he's singing Long Tall Sally <laughs> as he's going after the Predator. Go have me good no, time. Good. He's going crazy. I like when he shaves with no, <laughs> he's shaving in the jungle, just shaving himself with a knife. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> when, he, when he, when he, when he, the tension is so taut yeah. that he breaks the razor against his cheek. <laughs> <laughs> They're waiting for the predator to come. Just, I mean, that movie, and yeah, that movie was, uh, was it written by Shane Black or was I it? I don't know, um, but I remember thinking it's kind of a horror movie too at the, on the some level, you know? Yes, it's a sci-fi military horror movie. Yeah. I mean, it's so different that, I mean, find another movie that's like The Predator, you know, the original Predator. <clears throat> that, that isn't just something that tried to copy it later on. I mean, just find another movie that is that original in its making i mean it's a it's a cool movie and and it doesn't because i think a lot of people just kind of write somebody like arnold schwarzenegger off as you know 80s action bodybuilder you know guy i i don't think a lot of his films are taken as seriously as they maybe should and and some of them shouldn't be taken seriously don't don't get me wrong but i do think the predator is just a legit movie yeah i mean that's just that's just good filmmaking I think so. All around. <clears throat> I think so. And I promise everybody, we will get to Simon's album. But we're like nerds <laughs> about this life, man. I can't get to it just yet. For the 12 albums, 12 months is amazing. But I got to tell you, man, I also love Running Man. I don't know how you feel about that movie. But oh my gosh, another movie I'm like word for word. <laughs> bombing that movie. Buzzsaw. What happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split. <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right <laughs> well i mean um isn't that the first time that he reuses the catchphrase i'll be yeah, back i think so so it's so interesting that that you know be now becomes a thing you know of course it became a thing when it when it was in the terminator but now he's like I am going to start bringing this back mm -hmm. and I'm going to start using it in these other movies. Exactly. This is a <laughs> tagline. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, which is really funny. Yeah. I, I, I will admit I have mixed emotions about the running man because, um, because, well, because of a few things, but I do. And I actually read the book, oh. which is, is, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, is the Stephen King book. Whoa. I didn't know that. Um, I'll, maybe I should Google it and double check so I'm not lying to your audience. <laughs> but if I remember correctly, uh, reading it when I was something like 15 or something like that, it was a Stephen King book. Very different from the film. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to give anything away in case people want to read the book, but, um, 
the hero is very different. When they made the movie, they definitely made it. They're like, we're going to take this concept of the book and we are going to Arnoldize it. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, you know, uh, it is awesome. Uh, I, I wish Arnold could still make some movies like, like that. Yeah. I don't expect him to do, you know, the big action scenes. What I would love to see Arnold in today is something like become like a Clint Eastwoody oh, type thing, like an unforgiven yeah. type movie. Yeah. You know, I, I think he would, he would really, uh, you know, whether you think Arnold's a great actor or not, one thing that I don't, I think is inarguable is that he's an excellent physical actor, mm-hmm. whether you think he delivers lines, great things like that. But his ability to stare you down <laughs> in a similar way that Clint Eastwood can on, on yes. screen, you know, it just just hold a face and make you <laughs> suck you into that face, yeah. you know. Th- th- those guys had it. There, certain guys just had it. Mr. T had it, you know. What's the prediction? Uh, I mean, pain. Yeah, pain. <laughs> It's one of my when we were kids, my older brother and I would quote that all the time. We'd be looking at each other. (laughs) (laughs) People people think we're insane right right now. (laughs) What's wrong with these guys? (laughs) We're alienating a lot of people right now who aren't big 80s action hero fans crazy uh, how can you not be it was i mean like I are you kidding me i was like pumped through that whole era and then i'm like total recall came up like oh my god my head's gonna explode total recall yeah like, arnold <laughs> in space mars this is it man <laughs> i loved that movie it was that was an interesting it's interesting to go back and look at these movies and see how they each had different looks and feels to them yeah. I didn't know it at the time, but going back and finding out that um, Total Recall is made by the same either producer, director, somebody who who did RoboCop. Ah, yeah. And it's like, oh, well, that's why we have the same villain in Total Recall <laughs> as we had in RoboCop. And that's why it has the same kind of feel yeah, and look to it, it as it as as RoboCop has. Um, but it's, you know, Arnold, he wanted to work with a lot of different people and he wanted to try a lot of different things. And what's what what is amazing is that where most people failed he succeeded at doing so many of those yeah. things that he tried he wants to make a christmas movie <laughs> well you I know okay too. arnold in a christmas movie <laughs> yeah i mean it's a great movie yeah, it, it kind of jumps the shark when he's in the in the in the outfit yeah. of the the, the superhero it you know it kind of kind of loses me there but when he's uh you know all of his misadventures with the the Sinbad yeah, oh character, uh, th- those that that's just fantastic. All of that and, and his whole uh, opposition with the uh, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now. He was a Saturday Night Live. Oh uh, yeah, guy, I know uh, Phil, Phil Hartman. Hartman. Yeah. Phil Hartman. His whole the the, the thing neighbor about being jealous <laughs> yeah. of Phil Hartman. Yeah, with his wife, you yeah. know, taking care of his wife while he's gone. <laughs> uh, you know, all of that was just fantastic. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, he did all these different things and really succeeded where most people, and I'll put Sylvester Stallone in this category. I think Sylvester Stallone was trying to do a lot of the same things Arnold was doing in that respect, trying to switch genres and do that thing. But I will say he was not, in my opinion, he just wasn't nearly as successful in transitioning to comedy and and doing all these other things, even though there's still a lot of movies I like, like when he did... Uh, uh, one of my favorite Sylvester Stallone movies of all time is um, oh man, Demolition great Man, great movie, <laughs> amazing movie. <laughs> Wesley Snipes versus Sylvester Stallone, you don't get much better Pretty than that. Good. You know, I mean, Simon Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know? Um, so you know, he, he, he. I don't want to take anything away from Sylvester Stallone. I think he has, has had some great success and has done some really great movies. Um, but it, it's interesting to see that Arnold is a real sphinx. You yeah. know, he's a real enigma, and and, and he he's really somebody who I, I have a lot of respect for because he challenged himself to just always 
not not just keep repeating even though i think a lot of people think he just right. repeats himself you know he's, he's well known for these movie roles like terminator which is an unfortunate franchise it really yeah. should have ended with terminator agree, 2 actually. you know yeah still uh, if i'm if i'm if i ever get a vote on the greatest sci-fi action movie of all time it's terminator 2 pretty good man i i, I can't you know, you can make arguments for other movies and, 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 and have credible arguments for lots of other movies. But for my money, when you mix all the elements together, that what makes a great sci-fi action movie? Terminator 2, is, it's, it's a tough one to beat. It is tough to beat. It, <clears throat> I feel like we just watched the same movies. Like, like we were just like, hey, uh, uh, Parallel Universe, watch all the same movies at the same time. <laughs> Speaking of different things... I promise I'll get to this. This is 12 albums in 12 months. All and right. You know yeah. what? If you don't like talking about the 80s, just fast forward to this part, okay? It's, it's fine. Right. You, you know, who cares? All right. So we're at Weeping Candles, correct? Is where we're at. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the 80s, I mean, this is kind of my homage to 80s post-punk new wave. Very so interesting. that's what the album so, is. Yeah, that's a weird like connection. <laughs> Actually, I feel like it's like Blade Runner esque or something. We're going here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I could go on about yeah, that too, um... but we're not. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> oh, then it's the Harrison Ford era, and they're okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. All right, we're gonna talk about Weeping Candles. Very good album. I was like, whoa, okay, this is interesting. So tell me a little bit about the creation process of this. So Weeping Candles, I knew I wanted to do this. I had mentioned it to you in, in, the, in the, the other episode we did uh, uh, that I was working on this post-punk new wave kind of a thing. And I, I knew of all the genres that, that I was thinking about doing, this was definitely one I wanted to do because I feel like it, you know, it had such an impact on my early life. Uh, even when I didn't know what some of these bands were called, I would hear them on the radio and, you know, I, I just knew there was something about them, you know, that was really intriguing to me. Uh, the cure was definitely a band that was so intriguing to me and by design, I'm sure, you know, uh, the, the band itself and I'm sure the people who were promoting the band were doing a great job of making me intrigued by, uh, Robert Smith's hair and makeup right, <laughs> and the haunting sound that the band uh, created, which was so different than in, in my own house. I, I grew up listening to, you know, you, you grow up listening to your parents' music at first, you know, you don't have any other choice. And so, uh, but, but I was really lucky that I had parents with great tastes in music, at least I think so, you know, so I was listening to uh, just a lot of oldies rock, you know, uh, stuff from the fifties and sixties, um, mixed in with, a, you know, a lot of like my mother, you know, wanted us to be cultured and she's a cultured person herself. So, you know, we'd listen to classical, we'd hear it at least. I wouldn't put it on myself, but, <laughs> but we were getting a good smattering of things, but, um, but I was definitely growing up listening to everything from Elvis to three dog night you know, to the monkeys, uh, to Neil Diamond, you know, all, all this stuff. And, uh, um, so anyway, when, when you start to have your own consciousness, exactly, <laughs> as far as that goes, and you start hearing these, this other music, or you start, MTV comes out. What, what year did MTV come out? 80, something, 84 to 86, something like that. Uh, MTV blows up and all of a sudden you're watching music videos on TV and, and, and you're seeing the bands that you've only been, you've only been hearing, you know? And, uh, so anyway, that music really intrigued me. Um, I, I think as far as just as a guitar player, um, I, I, I always say Keith Richards taught me how to play guitar and I think that's true, but if you're listening to most of my music and you're looking at, or if you're probably hearing more of that new wave-ish guitar, post-punk guitar than, than, than you're hearing Keith Richards, uh, for sure. Um, almost on accident. It's like the earworm in my head that I can't get rid of is the 
what I look at is like these orchestrated, almost counterpoint guitars of the new wave era where they're playing simple melodies uh, with each other. Instead of one guy just like strumming chords and then having a lead guitar player or something like that. Instead, you might have, you know, two guitarists who are who are just interweaving these very simple single single string lines and stuff like that, you know. Um, so very cool stuff. So anyway... It's very influenced by all that. It's, it's the stuff that uh, I don't listen to very much. I'm going to be honest. I don't sit around listening to to Joy Division right. and and the, and the Cure and stuff. I I, re- I really don't. Uh, when I go back and listen to it, I'm like, why don't I listen to this more? This is awesome. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, but um, but I think it's just like hardwired in my brain at this point. I guess to. Uh, to it's like my default settings is to like kind of play guitar like or approach the guitar not not to copy those bands but to approach the guitar and that kind of mentality of uh of textural guitar guitar playing rather than rhythm and lead interesting it's it's funny like on this journey you know, there's things, sounds like there's things that you really are drawn towards. And then there's things like you're really, maybe sounds like you really have to push yourself to kind of get outside your box for that. Definitely. Um, and that, that's, that's part of the fun of it, you know, is to, uh, um, to push yourself and also let go of some preconceived notions that you have about what your music should sound like. Right. Or, or what you want it to sound like on this album. I had a great opportunity to collaborate with multiple people. It was just two this time, but it's more than I have been, you know, the first album I I did in this project, I didn't collaborate with anybody. The second one, I, there, you know, I had wonderful singer Danelle Dolem on two of the songs. And now on this one, Danelle Dolan returns and she's in on more songs on this one. Um, and then I also had a great opportunity to work with uh, a fantastic guitarist and bass player. His name is uh, Joshua Slamp. And um, he plays on, uh, I think, three tracks, if I'm remembering correctly. <clears throat> and so if you are, people are, are listening to the album, whenever you hear a guitar that sounds almost like David Gilmore-esque, a little Pink floyd kind of a thing. That's definitely Josh Slamp. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he just added this, this different dimension to the music. And I would never have played guitar like that on those songs. I would have never even thought to like, oh, let's have a, a David gilmore kind of guitar solo here. That just wouldn't even have been like something that would have occurred to me. But when he, when I, when I presented the songs to him, I said, Hey, just do your thing. And I didn't give him any, any instructions. And I didn't say do this or, or try that. I just said, here, see what, see what you do with it. Yeah. And then when he sent it back to me and it was nothing, like I said, that like what I would have done right. probably, um, it, it's that part of that. You're just letting go of, what you thought the song was kind of a thing. And you're just allowing it to become what it becomes. Yeah, that's amazing. And and I think that's probably a good thing, right? It's like if you direct it and say, I want it to sound like this, then it's going to sound like how you exactly want it versus just letting it be creative and that person just do what comes to them, you know? Yeah, well, that's it's becoming the tyrannical dictator of the of the song. It really is. I really believe that, you know, and I always try to let the song breathe, let it, let it become what it becomes, you know, and don't, it's like raising a child, you know, it really is. It's, it's, uh, you influence it, you, you, you give it the best of you and, and then you just let it become. Yeah, most definitely. You know, it's interesting. I think that, uh, I listened to the album and I was like, I really like this album. And I feel like I'm trying to like, I'm like, this is a journey I'm taking and listening to all your music. And then I I get to, I'm like, there's definite favorites for me on there. You know? And I think I sent you, I was like, Oh yeah, this one's like my favorite one (laughs) on here. 
Yeah, you did. Yeah, you were excited about uh, Hello oh my gosh. Normandy, Lights Out. That one. You know what it is? It's just like stuff that sounds very ethereal and out there when it comes on. I this is sound. Mm-hmm. This is so funny that we start talking about like sci-fi, eighties movies, action, because I think it just reminds me of that. You know, of something about yeah. out of a movie, <clears throat> and I've always been very drawn to movie soundtracks and the big sounds and the kind of this space overture aspect of things. And I feel like that song makes me think of that a little bit, you know? Oh, well, I appreciate that. That is, um, you know, more or less what I was hoping for that song. That is a, a, a song I've actually had in my back pocket for like 15 Whoa. years. It's just kind of been sitting there. You know, it's really funny. I actually performed that song about 15 years ago when I wrote it. And I performed it with uh, um, just two other guys, a drummer and a keyboardist. And I played piano on it. And the keyboardist was playing like this synthy cello thing. Um, It was a very different thing when we performed it back then. But I was performing it for a composer's... um, thing in college like a symposium or something and you have to you have to stand up and present you know the music you have to tell the audience you know something about the composition and what it's about and i didn't know what to tell anybody and and i and i remember distinctly it was really funny i i got up there and i said uh this is a piece i wrote about the mistreatment of koala bears and we sat down and played it and the guy who was uh, hosting the symposium got up afterwards and he's like that was about koala <laughs> like, bears what <laughs> <laughs> and the audience had a good laugh everybody they didn't realize i was joking at first but then you know you play the piece and you know the, you know everybody's kind of in on the joke now but uh um but yeah, it, it's just, you know, it, it never got recorded. It never, you know, saw the light of day. And I I think I completely changed the lyrics. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think I ever wrote the lyrics down when I wrote it back then. But anyway, it, and I added to it and of course and everything. So it's a completely different piece that I've recorded now. It's the same title and same, similar chord structure, but it's a... Uh, um, very very different than its original conception uh all those years ago but yeah those are the kind of things that i i I love you know most of the material on this album i i wrote you know uh you know specifically this month you know but that that one was one i just had my in the back of my mind and i just thought now's the time yeah this one's coming out (laughs) i just isn't it weird how that happens it's like all this work all these years ago, and then this is the placement for it on Weeping Candles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and and I always feel like when that happens and when it's successful, and I do think my rendition of, of that song was successful. It, it, apparently you did too. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely going to be on the podcast uh, for sure. Like, oh, thanks. It's Appreciate really... That. So one of my but favorite it, songs as of recent because it just... You know, music's very subjective, but for me, it just reminds me of everything I love about music, the the bigness, the quietness, the kind of this synthiness, this out there in the universe. It's like a big song to me. It's big, you know. Thank you. It's a... Uh... I, I, I love a song like that because it's... Um... I'm hoping that it's a very personal song that, that when somebody listens to it, it speaks to them very personally. And and that's the kind of the first half of it, you know, where it's very quiet and it's very intimate. And then when it gets to that second half and it becomes big, uh, I hope people are feeling like it's representative of themselves, of, of each and every one of us. We're, we're each and every one of us. We're all very small, but our lives are full of this big meaning. Um, and the lyrics in the song are, are extremely simple, and that's also on purpose. I did not want. I wanted to keep it as simple and as intimate as possible. 
Um, and the idea of the song just kind of being your true self. Um, uh, I think the only line that kind of gets repeated, you know, is no Novocaine. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. the idea of like not hiding beneath something else. Um, um, but anyway, uh, but that is also a perfect example of, of a track that um, would have been almost there, but never would have reached its potential if I hadn't collaborated with somebody mm. else. And that's Danelle Dolem. If she hadn't come on there and just sung those vocals, it would have been good, but it wouldn't have been great. Right. It would have been like, oh, you, you're close, <laughs> but he ain't there yet, kid, you know? So she comes in and and, and uh, takes it. She She's uh, the hat on Sylvester Stallone's head, and she's, she's the, the switch. switch. Yeah. She, she turns the switch, takes it over the top. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. And you know what's also, I wanted to compliment you as well. as like, I don't think I said this before in our previous thing, but you have a, a very great unique voice to me when you sing and especially when you really let it rip there's this achiness <laughs> to your voice there's this like uh gravelly achiness that's how i know how to explain it i don't know but and it really like it pulls you in i've noticed that when you really let it rip you know and you go and i'm very drawn to that and uh it's amazing by the way I appreciate that. I, I really do. I think um, the greatest compliments I've had on my voice are, are, are you know, things like when somebody, I'll come out down off stage or something like that, and somebody will say, you know, when you started singing, I expected to look up and see a black guy. <laughs> 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 right. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, a lot of my vocalist heroes and everything, yeah. uh, e even from my youngest childhood, uh, like Elvis, you know, he, he was, you know, imitating, he wasn't imitating. I shouldn't say imitate. Cause I don't think imitating is the right word, but he was, uh, you know, he was He's listening to the black yeah. music. Yeah. And a lot of people might not know this, but you know, he, he really aspired to be Nat King Cole. Yeah. You know, he, he wanted to be the great balladeer. And have a voice like like Nat, and uh, who who doesn't? Oh, amazing. You know? um, so when I'm growing up, you know, I'm I'm listening to uh, probably one of my biggest influences was Otis mm. Redding, and you know, I just I can't I can can never get enough of Otis Redding. Uh, uh, for a lot of my children, the first sound they hear coming out of the womb is Otis Redding. I mean, that was actually specifically. I can't. I think it was my first daughter, Sunny. I, specifically brought at Otis Redding, uh, you know, greatest hits to the, to the hospital. Wow. And uh, so the first thing she heard is, <laughs> is Mr. <laughs> Redding, man. And uh, so, yeah, the, the power of those voices um, is so incredible and it's so transcendent, you know? Um, and and I just you know those those voices always spoke to me. Oh, when I was a kid, I was a huge Platters yeah. fan. Oh, oh yeah, man. I couldn't get enough of the Great Amazing. Pretender. Ah, oh, and, and, and those voices that could go from sweet honey to 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 tear jerking achiness. That's all I've ever wanted for my voice. And of course, you know, I've told you before, I'm my own greatest critic. So I never think I hit it. I never <laughs> think I, I, I get it there to where I want it. I'm never, I'm never satisfied with a vocal performance. But once in a while, yeah. I'm like, you know what? That, that wasn't half bad. That wasn't, <laughs> you know, that wasn't. I think in the last podcast, you, you ended the podcast by playing um, the song off of... Uh, Oh gosh, what's that song? So old yes, and so young. Love that song, and you destroy that song, like in a good way. Let's let's make this clear. Like you, that, <laughs> that sounded weird coming out. Simon delivers an incredible vocal performance on that song. That was one of the first songs I heard of yours. Where I was like, that's the the ripping, that's the roaring, that's the achiness, the the pulling, the the almost the desperation in the voice. And I was like, I, I have to use this on here, you know? Wow. 
Thank you so much. I, you know, I genuinely, genuinely yeah. appreciate that because that is exactly what I wanted out of that song. It's not the kind of song that I would normally put, uh, you know, even normally sing or present because it's it's kind of like it's almost a cliche kind of love breakup yeah. song, whatever you want to say, or, or nostalgic memory of a lost love or something like that. And, and you know, songs like that are a dime a dozen, you know, so I, I'm even I'm always hesitant to even do a song like that. But when I found the voice for it. Then I was then I convinced myself that, yeah, this this song deserves to be heard. And I think I did three takes. I didn't do any editing, you know, as far as like, oh, I'm going to, you know, cut the core. You know, normally in a recording process, you know, you, you might do a few takes of the song all the way through but then you end up like oh now i'm gonna just just do the choruses you know because oftentimes when you're singing your singing is so dynamic you know you're so yeah. quiet here and then you're so loud here that it, it, it's just easier from a production standpoint to record those separately and to be able to work with them separately uh as as you're doing your mixing but that song I didn't want that. I didn't want, you know, any. You know, so anyway, I think I did three. T- I, I I just took the third take and I said, that's that's the one. I'm just going to use that. And uh, uh, no edits, no nothing. That's just it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> and I and I wanted that rawness out of that song when I was writing that song or that arrangement for that song, because that song started out as like it started out as just this little folky song on an acoustic guitar. And it was just kind of like a, uh, almost like a boom chuck thing, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and it wasn't anything like what, what's on the album now. And it's an arrangement that I, I kept going through different arrangements of it, trying it in different keys. And I, um, finally ended up with, it just kind of dawned on me one morning as I sat there wondering, what I was going to do with it or if I was going to do anything with it. And it dawned on me that what this song should sound like is if, um, Neil or not Neil, sorry. If uh, Van Morrison wrote a song intending to give it to Otis Redding, but then it ends up just being sung by some drunken bastard <laughs> in an old speakeasy. And I was like, that that's the aesthetic. That's what we need. This is it. We got it. So uh so that was one of the songs I was most pleased with, I, I will say, because I it, it I think I, I succeeded in encapsulating that vision, however mixed up yeah. that vision might sound. It was awesome, man. <laughs> it was actually awesome. I'm like, yeah. I just I'm a big feeling person. So I listen to a lot of things. I'm like, oh, these are good, these are good. And then something hits me and I'm like, oh man, this does something to me, you know? So I just, and yeah. that was, it was your singing. It was, the production was good, but the singing I was like, man, like he's really going in on this. Like, you know, there's some real <laughs> achiness going on here. He's, he's invested into like, <laughs> I just really thought this, the singing sounded desperate in a very good way. It was like something really happened to you. You know what I mean? I this guy's going through it right now man you know and i think the artists the creatives who can create that that magic in an album and a song that's special that's because sometimes i think people aren't they're not allowing themselves to be vulnerable enough to let their voice go to that level and you did that and i was like man i was like outstanding yeah Thank you very much. You know, I, I feel like that's something I'm able to do live a lot better oh, than wow. I'm able to do in the studio. I, I don't think that's uncommon necessarily. I think, you know, e- even even though normally I'm in the studio, especially during this yeah. this uh, project, I'm, I'm in the studio by myself. There's nobody to be self-conscious in front of. But it's still difficult to get yourself to that place. You don't get any feedback from an audience. You don't get any feedback from a band there with you on stage. And, uh, so it's easy to just not give it everything. And, and that's, what's, uh, really important to be in music. And and it doesn't always come off in like, like you're saying, like, um, maybe the vocal performance to give it everything, but I, I do want that even if I don't succeed in doing it every time, I do want that in each of my songs to give them 
everything. Once again, going back to that concept that a song is like a child that you're raising. You, As a parent, you want to give that child everything you can give it. And I, that's what's so disappointing when a song doesn't come. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> this prodigal <No>. song <laughs> just refuses to live up to the to the things I've given it. <laughs> That's amazing. So as we wrap this up here, what can we look forward to? Are, are we coming up on number four? Is that what this is next? Or what number? So yeah, coming up next is going to be number four. It's going to be um, my instrumental. Uh, it might not be the only instrumental album I produce. I don't know yet, but it's going to be an inst- it, it, It's an instrumental album I'm working on. Um, to me, it's almost a continuation of Weeping Candles in, in a spiritual sense. Um, Weeping Candles is a lot about, um, it's not a lot about, it's everything about what's happening right now, currently in our nation and, and, and oftentimes around the world. Um, uh I, I told you before in, another, in, in the other episode, I feel like all my songs are protest songs. Right. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm trying to relate to everything. Uh, I think it was Harold Bloom, the, the critic, who, who said he, Hamlet, the character Hamlet in Hamlet. Right. <laughs> uh, it try, Hamlet allows all perspectives to be at home with him. Uh, kind of like the Apostle Paul when he when he goes out as, in his missionary work and he says, "When I'm with the barbarians, I'm a barbarian, and when I'm with the you know the how many of us though, even though we want that in ourselves, how many of us though can can be amongst the villains and be a villain? Uh, can you relate to them? There's a great TED talk. Have you have you seen the TED talk, Daryl Davis? Yes, I have. Um, yeah. Amazing, right? Incredibly amazing, yeah. Uh, the story of a of, of an African American gentleman who goes to KK rallies not as a protester but as a friend, not because he agrees with the message, but because he's building a bond and a relationship that that eventually bears fruit, um, and and changes people's lives in a such a significant way, how many of us are willing to do that instead of just canceling the other person? How many of us are are humble enough to go out there and say, I'm going to be a friend and an ally to my enemy. Hmm. And that's a lot of what this album is about. And there's, there's songs in the album that speak, or they're almost a little on the nose about it. Uh, the song "These Kids Have Fangs" is inspired by conversations I've had with my own children, specifically my my daughter uh, Adriana, who just goes by Anna. Um, and the first line in the song is uh, "Anna, I hear you crying, but I cannot stop this war." And it, that comes from uh, she's reading the news and she just breaks down in tears, yeah. you know. And uh, and she just like any good person, and especially these kids. They, they just want the world to change. They just want to see the goodness of humanity that they themselves believe in, that they think the world is, and then they're proven wrong all the mm. time. Man, this is powerful. I mean, incredibly powerful. Simon, I can honestly say this, man. I feel like we're becoming very fast friends, and I get a huge kick out of texting with yeah. you people. Tech, Simon t- texting is hilarious. Just so you know, if you ever get a chance to text with Simon, it's hilarious. The funniness, the different memes and the videos, the little gifts we send each other, are it's it makes me smile every time. Thank you for making my day many days when we text, and I look forward to continuing this journey. Oh, man. thank you too. I feel the same way. Yeah. So uh, Simon Milliman, guys, weeping candles. And uh, we're gonna, next month we'll come to you again with the next album, and I don't know, maybe less '80s action hero movies, but I can't promise anything. <laughs> I can't promise. I'd be '90s. Yeah, we'll, 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 yeah, we might just take go. That'd be Jean Claude Van Damme decades, time next time. You know? like, Serious. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Simon. Uh, right. Thank you, man. Good talking to you. Bye.
So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut, stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text donut to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. What's that place you've always wanted to try? Well, you're there, sharing plates with... Just one bite. Or on second thought, maybe not sharing. It's that good. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.